This might be a Star Trek podcast, but I'll always stand for Benson and Stabler here on V'ger, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Captain Jonathan Archer stepped into the Quantum Command Center and vanished. He woke to find himself trapped in the past, stupid time travel problems that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide in this journey is Time Zuck, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a dork with a bad haircut that only Archer can see. And so Captain Archer finds himself leaping from life to life, bad plot to bad plot, striving to put right that which once went wrong, and hoping each time his next leap will be the leap home. I'm your co-host, Peter. <laughs> okay, so the, the audience needs to know that we were about to start recording a few minutes ago, and you said, oh, wait a second, I had something I wanted to do for an intro. Can you wait three minutes? And I was like politely like scrolling through the memory office, like, yeah, no problem, go ahead. And that is apparently what you cooked up. That is perf- That is perfection. That was worth all of those three minutes. That's just Mad Lips. I mean, that that's the intro to fucking Quantum Leap. Of course it is, but it's still perfect. It's still good Mad Libs. Good Mad Libs need to be celebrated. Do you like my vaguely feminine voice? I was going for that. That, that I, intro I heard often. it, you know? I good. heard it. I've what? forgotten what we had watched because it's been a couple days longer than we normally record. And just as I was so... Um, disappointed and defeated as I saw this queue up to watch initially. I am now equally exhausted and defeated to see that we have to actually talk about this goddamn thing. This is season three, episode 11, Carpenter Street. First aired November 26th, 2003. Brought to us by the only people who could stoop so low. Rick Berman, Bran Braga, Dragon old Mike V'ger along for the ride to uh, put this turd on the film. I don't think that this idea is necessarily bad, nor do I think all the execution is bad. Its main problem is twofold. One, as you mentioned at the conclusion of last week, they just did an episode that was essentially a time travel episode because they went to the old West planet. Mm-hmm. They basically went to Planet Trigun or something like the. Basically, yeah. So we we kind of did this bit already and recently. So doing another time travel episode, even if that wasn't technically time travel, is just like it's too soon. And then second, they really wanted to do like a horror movie vibe to this and completely whiff on on it being what clearly was intended to be a Halloween homage because they literally have characters named Strobe and and Loomis and it's on Carpenter Street. Like they really push the Halloween thing specifically like, oh, it's a creepy slasher flick. And it's just not. It's just not that at all. Um, They even have synth in the soundtrack too. I like horror. And I got zero horror vibes, and it wasn't until I read the the Memory Alpha where they're like, oh, this Halloween thing. And I was like, really? Yeah. Because none of that comes through in this whatsoever. Exactly what you said. Why the fuck are we doing this again? Uh, you know, we should have done an intro with our 
world famous impersonations of Braga and uh, Berman, yeah, Berman, where we bellyache about how the season's just been too good with all these new writers, and we need to get back to basics and get back on brand and drag the fucking season back into the mud. With Similitude just too great of an episode, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, hold on, guys. We can't make them think we're that good. Yeah. uh, uh We got to make sure they know. Knock some mud on this motherfucker. Let's get it back out into the the gutter. Like, you've got this banger meta plot running you just blew up earth the stakes are high uh you know you're willing to fucking kill your best friend to save your best friend because he's mission critical similitude right and then you drag out this zany ass shit which again maybe if you take a terrible fucking season like season two and you throw this in there and i think it would have been a fine episode i mean it's hard to We've said it before. In fact, we said it about the last time travel episode of like, this is would be fine if it was in season two, because season two was so bad, was so low, was so difficult to get through that the ba- the worst of season three would rate as an acceptable season two episode. So there is a, a kind of a level that I want to establish here. This uh, some of the stuff works. I really like the uh, the sort of uh, law and order SVU <laughs> element that it's kind of like pared down time travel plot. It's not trying to do something big. It only involves two cast members, essentially. In fact, most of the cast does not appear in this episode at all. Uh, like Flocks, Mayweather, and Hoshi Reed. aren't even, they don't even have a line. Yeah, Reed has like a, a voiceover line. Exactly. So uh, I like that. I like it. It's stripped down. It's just them. They're just solving the problem. They get from point A to point B to point C to point D. There's not a lot of dicking around. And there's a sort of we have, we're interrogating. We're sort of feeling our way through the situation and effect trying to affect it minimally because we know that we're time travelers right now. And that's probably the rule we need to stick by. And I liked all of that, but it's just a total like tonal break after a hard hitting, dramatic, intense, you know, uh, performance driven episode that we just got done reviewing to do this to say this is kind of goofy and it's not really working. You know, like how many times have we been in a different time in, in Enterprise at this point, not counting the action grandpa episode because that was near enough future that that's still like main plot adjacent, but you had, was it Cold Stone Creek? Carbon Creek. Carbon Creek. Which beat the shit out of this thing, by the way. True North. Yeah, North uh, Star, yeah. Yeah, sorry, North Star. And then this fucking thing, and it's like, what's, you guys, you guys picked this pre-Kirk era to be in and like once you got here you're just like man fuck it sucks telling stories in this era can we just be anywhere else well one place i would not pick to be if i could be anywhere else is in detroit so let's set the stage for our audience of folks that don't live in the united states which we know is quite large this episode largely takes place 
in the early 2000s Detroit. Not actual Detroit. This is definitely shot in LA. We know that because there's one shot near the beginning where there's palm trees, which definitely don't exist in, in Detroit. That's Not outside of Hooters. <laughs> so, uh, but it is supposed to be Detroit. And Detroit, all the stories you've heard about Detroit are true. It, it Particularly in the era of the 90s into the early 2000s. It is a... Uh, dilapidated crime-ridden hellhole it is america's armpit uh it is the biggest city to ever go bankrupt in the united states which is something that can happen uh literally their art collection and their art museum was seized as an asset for bankruptcy court i mean it is bad it is a bad place and uh you know if there's a place worse than the terminus systems it's probably detroit so that's where we're going to open our our episode and you know, this is um... here's the first what the fuck is I would say a good third of this episode. Uh, it's the joke we keep going back to the writer's thinly veiled fetish. Yes, clearly somewhere between Braga and Berman. There is a. Uh, a. M- medical prostitute snuff fetish. Which, you know, to be fair, is not yeah. a bad one. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I I can see it. I, yeah, okay. I think I, yeah. I could make it happen. We don't right? judge here. That's fine. Yeah. But you've got this super long open where you slowly meander through this fucking plot. And I didn't get a, a count on it, but I mean, it's five minutes plus. This thing takes forever. We've it's got the teaser plus the first part of the first act is actually playing out what's going on. So you've got this guy who is an absolute skeevy sleazeball. But he's played by uh, Leland Oser, who's been a skeevy sleazeball for us in the past. Specifically, he was the murder hologram in that episode uh, where Bolana had yet another uh, uh, problem with an AI. Heart squeezer, right? This is yeah. classic. We talk about this thing all the time. This dude developed the most effective holographic killing method, which is you just put your hand in someone's chest and squeeze their fucking heart. He played Dejarin, which was a seemingly uh, blue-collar hologram that was in charge of cleaning out a warp court. Now, if you go back and you listen to our episode for Revulsion, which is actually pretty great, if I do say so myself, I think we came up with some phenomenal headcanon where those holograms were actually like some sort of a high-level government uh, psychological experiment, right? There's no way that that thing unfolded naturally like that was that was vault tech engineering a situation where people were going to fucking die. (laughs) Let's like, you know, like comically on purpose, you know, like we know that this is going to go psycho. Put the most abusive asshole space truckers. In a kill box with a hologram that's just waiting for an opportunity to go uh, completely psychotic and murder everybody. They don't really talk about it in the memory alpha, but I did think that there was a great Easter egg in the beginning of this episode because Leland uh, Orser, which he almost looks younger than he did back in Revulsion, which I thought was interesting. But anyways, well, it's, I think it was the makeup they had him in because it was seemed real pale and kind of like perhaps, you know, like unearthly deathly because he was a, a, a hologram there. So he is the skeeviest, dirtiest, 
most uncouth, greasy motherfucker possible. The guy's walking into his cockroach motel apartment. Everything is filthy. There's shit all over the place. He walks into the bathroom. There's a pizza box in the bathroom sink that he starts eating some god awful pizza in. Uh, his hair is a fucking mess. The phone rings. He's got a cordless phone that's caked in like 12 years of zit oils. He's completely this disgusting, despicable, filthy thing. And I thought that was really cool because in Revulsion, Dejarin was obsessed with how gross yeah. and nasty organics were. So this is our complete polar opposites. This is mm-hmm. everything that that hologram would have despised about organics. And that was a really cool nod. Um, what really strikes me during this entire opening intro is that the episode doesn't really seem to want to communicate clearly what year it is. They tell you it's 2003 or four, but like everything about this Leland or what's his name? Jeff. What's the bad guy's name in this? Loomis. It's the same as the psychiatrist from Halloween. Everything about this guy screams seventies, his car, the way he dresses, Mm -hmm. the action. So like tonally, like, why not just set it in the 70s like hookers it's real 70s vibes but then we're supposed to believe it's 2000 like big miss number one i i think i see what you're saying i think that the i think it could have been even in the 90s effectively as well like it didn't have i mean his clothes the kind of the environment around him wasn't the cars, the buildings, the yeah, his car in particular is definitely a seventies kind of like vehicle. I thought I think it was like an eighties station wagon, but I just don't understand why they set this thing in two thousand because everything else about this should have been seventies or eighties. Yeah, Again, would, the, would there have been a reason to not? Because cell phones were a fucking thing absolutely by then. That's true. That is true. Nokia's would have been pretty pretty. But I mean, this guy's supposed to be poor, right? So he probably doesn't have one. It is still a luxury item. Uh, I'll say that even in 2004, it's still a luxury item. It's not something most people have. Maybe. Um, so we get taken through this long meandering plot where uh, there's a, a voice on the phone that says, bring him in. And then he goes out in his car. He drives up as we are told in Detroit and comes across two of the most beautiful hookers in, in cinema history. Yes. This is not an accurate reflection of what hookers actually look like. Uh, I don't have the uh, real world experience <laughs> to be able I, to say it, for certain, but I'm going to go. I, with I, my live gut. Close, I live adjacent to the, an economically distressed area. And uh, I, I have certainly uh, seen them. Uh, on their way to and fro their lives. We'll just say that they don't look like this. <laughs> he picks him up. Hey, I know you. You're from the clinic. They get up the road. Uh, she's doing her makeup while he is very clearly getting out a fucking knockout rag full of chloroform. <laughs> it's like casually like, oh, what's that? Uh, nothing. Just, At a red just... light. And then he just fucking zonks her out to zero regard from anyone else around. And I'm just again, I'm like, was this scene written with one hand behind the typewriter and the other hand furiously masturbating? Because I know a sexy fantasy when I see one. And, and this, this like, was this not supposed G- to be an episode of Star Trek. This was supposed to be some 
hustler production. I don't know. Is this a GTA four mission? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> knock the hooker out with chloroform, throw her in the trunk. <laughs> so take her to the illegal experiments down at the wharf or whatever. He knocks her out. He brings her back to the warehouse. We see a bunch of other bodies laid out. He inserts an IV, gets her on the machine, opens a suitcase. It's full of money. Off he goes. Uh, If you've ever played the video game Vampire Bloodlines, this dude's a ghoul. Oh, yeah. This dude's a ghoul right down to working for the blood clinic. I actually really enjoyed that thread line in this episode, especially like when there's the guy in the wheelchair and uh, he's like, oh, no, the the slob that gave you the money, you know, she did the paperwork wrong. It's 11 o'clock here, but I need to bring off like. It, it, swap out time travel nonsense, put in World of Darkness vampires. And this dude's doing his uh, his Dracula masters bidding as a good Renfield. And like you could have really been onto something great. But no, I, I, some of the stuff actually is well designed. It's well put together. The the soundtrack is more minimal and synthy, which. Uh, while I don't think it gets the Halloween vibe, it still like matches the tone of what's going on. Uh, and when we get Archer and T'Pol onto the scene, they're not like interacting with it uh, in a fashion that isn't credible. You know, they're very dialed in to the circumstances and kind of getting reads on things and trying to fit in with what's going on rather than uh, being a bunch of like futuristic space doofuses. So before we can get there, though, they need to get tapped. So yeah. there's Archer. We finally, you know, 40 minutes into the episode of watching this, <laughs> this jack off murder fantasy. Oh, I'm sorry. By the end, uh, he takes his money, his uh, shadowy benefactor uh, standing over in the corners like, all right, uh, bring me more. And then he leaves. And then we see a Zindi in that Zindi Reptilian specifically. Yeah. That god awful purple jumpsuit, which I'll I'll bash the hell out of this plot point. You keep talking about the synthiness of this. Like, I just watched Terminator, which is one of the all time best, obviously. And uh, one of the big arguments I like to get in is: is Terminator a science fiction movie, or is it a like a horror murder slash like monster slash? And I think it's much more monster slash. Like Agreed. Terminator one is a horror movie. Like certainly yeah. there's Terminator one's a horror movie. Terminator two is a sci-fi movie. Yeah. And I think it's a uh, technically classified by most standards as a tech nor, which is appropriate. Um, but this... the way that matches Jonathan Cameron's uh, other sci-fi franchise. And that alien is a horror movie and aliens is a sci-fi movie. True. Um, so, I think that especially with that synth soundtrack and what's going on here. Yeah. I I can't believe I said Jonathan Cameron. That's an (laughs) Obi-Wan fault. Uh, James Cameron. uh, Jonathan Cameron from. um, Yeah. What was that? Step, not step by step. Oh, the family growing pains. But this is much more Terminator than anything else. It's time travelers, nonsense in the past since. Yes. Uh, and these fucking aliens that, unlike Arnold Schwarzenegger, cannot be bothered to go out and get some goddamn clothes that don't make them look like a bunch of Studio 54 go-go dancers. So back on Enterprise, we've got Archer apparently raiding the fridge for some cold cuts, uh, doing the thing you never do, and then feed your dog cheese. Mm-hmm. 
and you know Porthos is enjoying the cheese, uh, but then Porthos is uh, too busy to have the last piece of cheese that Archer wants to offer because he is busy being a good boy greeting a a, a, a good friend. Time uh, Zuck. It's Time Zuck. He's it's back. Ancient Daniels makes an appearance, and we haven't seen him in some time. I haven't seen him this season. Thankfully, uh, but all good things must come to an end. <laughs> and he is here now. And uh, Archer like, else is here. Petulant, whiny. Bitchy John Archer. You thought we were done with him? No, comes roaring back. He's all fucking piss and vinegar, vinegar of like, where you been? What the fuck? I'm on. A, we know all time. All this has to do with time fuckery shit. Yet, yet you haven't been around. You haven't answered my calls. You left me on read. Fuck you. And uh, Daniels is like, yo, 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 yo. Listen, uh, first, it takes a lot of clearance, a lot of red tape for me to like go talk to you. Because, you know, I'm interfering with the timeline. I've already told you you're important. <laughs> like, you don't go back in time and talk to Space George Washington whenever you want to. Right? Like, there's rules. And second, uh, all the shit you're dealing with right now, we have no record. This d- did not happen in our timeline. Can we take a moment? Or at least I'd like to take a moment to call out that. The absurdity of what's happening here. That this guy's coming from the future back to the past. And saying it takes a while for things that happen in the past to catch up with us in the future. And we're still trying to figure it out. And how like wrought with errors and fallacy and nonsense. It seems like it should be. And at this point, I'm so abused between Voyager and the stupid shit going on here that I'm just shrug okay well if they say so i can just i can accept that i can move on not a big deal timey wimey like maybe if this guy existed in like an offshoot pocket realm where they could like observe mainline timeline at a delay and somehow buffer themselves from like chain maybe but like i don't even feel we got an impression that they have that kind of technology he had the temporal observatory like I, I kind of did. Get, they show that to us. Yeah, he took Archer there. When? Um, back in season one, I think in the first time he ever showed up. Uh, the, the concept that the Daniels and the Future Federation have an ability to observe time from a distance or objectively, and like see the timeline rot before them, and how things change and that ripples take time for, you know, the matters to, to adjust to them occurring. Um, that all tracks for me, like that all could work for me. I just wish there was any kind of like series Bible consistency in portraying time travel over the last like four series, right? Like, which the there pro- should have been because yeah. now again, I'll give Gene Roddenberry and original series a big hall pass. Cause it was, four seasons of uh, groovy, sexy time, and they didn't know what they were doing, but by the time they got into TNG, it should have been like, let's draw a map of <laughs> what the is universe. Yeah, what's let's, going on? Let's hash out some things here. Um, I also want to revisit my uh, conspiracy theory that Daniels works for the bad guys and that John Archer should be a little bit more warmer to, uh, what's lead Suleiman guy's name? Oh, oh, I know who you're talking about. The one who always calls him John. Yes. Hello, John. 
Because at this point, there's a lot of evidence pointing that like the Suluban might actually not be the bad guys. You'll recall that they do something to fuck up Enterprise's engine to keep them from getting blown up. Yeah, Silic does that. And Silic, there you go. And Archer's very confused. Like, how is he the bad right. guy? And you're how telling me. Guy? Hey, uh, 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 time Zuck, like you haven't been around for a while. Why is it that the silly putty boys and the elusive man over there are the ones cluing me in that the fucking Zindi are sending um, Death Stars after us? Like, why do they have our back? And you guys absolutely do not have our back. And now also, by the way, you're here out of nowhere. Uh, I just had to have uh, a clone of my best friend fucking killed so we could save his life because we're on this super important mission. And here you are to say, hey, there's a problem with the timeline. So I, as a time traveling policeman. I'm going to you, a starship caption captain and saying, I need you to go back in time and be a time policeman. Instead of doing your super important thing, where also, by the way, if you want to read between the lines, if you die in the past, you die forever and your mission fails. So I don't know if you've got about uh, 45 minutes to do a side quest, but uh, I got a date tonight, so I can't, you know, I got to get out of work. Well, Daniel died. Remember, like he died in the first episode and he's back and they never really explain like, you know, like how are you still alive? And he said that, well, that version of me died, that, that version from that part of the timeline died. Like we kind of know what that means because of the relativity episode from Voyager and that like seven of nine literally kept dying over and over and over again. And they just kept getting a different version of her to run the op. But all of this is not explained enough for the audience. In my opinion, I know over explaining it would be too much, but the 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 fig leaf they say is, oh, I need you guys to go back to 2004 Detroit because we think there's some Zindi hiding there doing something they shouldn't do. Because if I go, I have to like do paperwork, but it won't be as much paperwork if I send to you guys. Because I'm the- trying to save the world. Go do your fucking job. You've given me yeah. zero credible reason why I, the captain of the Starship Enterprise that is trying to save Earth, should go do your fucking light work. Like that is, I, I can't get over this fucking plot hole yet. The episode drags me over it where Archer goes and finds to Paul and says, Hey, I know you don't believe time travels real, but we're going to go on an adventure. We're going to go on some DLC. Yes. Yeah. We downloaded the, the Nuka Cola world or whatever, and we're going to go do that now that we have the appropriate level what of was gear. that shitty, uh, do sex mankind divided where like while you were being transported from one area to another area, like there was a whole side mission adventure. Oh, yeah. I forget the name of that DLC. It's integrated into the like director's cut version of that game. Your gear is already stripped off you. And by the time you get back, your gear is still gone. So like you didn't have an opportunity to really like grow or get better stuff. But it's like, hey, here's a whole side story that. Yeah. And like your powers are mostly shut off so that they can like artificially inflate the challenge. It's such mm-hmm. it's so tacked on. Yep. That's and- it. So, uh, you know, to Paul's like, no, time travel is not real. Time travel is bullshit. And Archer's like, whatever, just still come with me. How about that? Stop with your debating if this is real or not anymore. It's clearly what? is. It clearly luckily, is. Luckily, not only in the ship that's full of war supplies and now Marines and extra food, 
our costuming department, not only do they have like Little House on the Prairie stuff, but luckily they also have like 2004 stuff. So go in there, find some stuff that fits. They got because... hosing for Hoshi. They've got <laughs> Western wear for, for your entire away team. Uh-huh. And they're like, give me your best Olivia Benson, you know, New York sex crime detective look, you know. Is complete with button down and trench coat, and uh, let's go. I will say I like their I like their period costumes because they're you know just normal clothes from the era, but it it makes sense that you know it's pretty easy look to pull off. These it is not an era of high fashion. There's not much going on, and they just open the door where Daniels told them to meet them, and they're just in Detroit. They're just there. They've Again, got... no briefing from Daniels. Like da- Daniels represents an evil organization. Archer is being set up to, to fail in this. So they do have their guns. They have their tricorders and they have like special little tags that Daniels gave them to like tag things that shouldn't be there. And then we'll like warp you all back to your time back here. And again, the, the rationale is Archer and T'Pol have to do this because because don't, need, the don't, time, need, don't even try. because the time travelers that are breaking the rules are from the 22nd century people from the 22nd century going back and retrieving them is somehow more okay that's the rationale it's fucking stupid I hate it that was totally underbaked but they get there and they do like the Star Trek 4 thing but gritty you know like they're I got to get a got to get a car. So they like scan cars until like because a tricorder can just hack a car can just start it, which makes sense. It is like super tech. We're going to enter this portion of the episode. I'm going to call time tracks, which is yet again, another uh, completely garbage. What, 90s sci fi. I'm, I'm sure we've got a fan out there. Uh, I've never heard of this. What is this? Oh, my God. <laughs> For- Time tracks. Time tracks. Um, so yeah, nineteen ninety three, featuring a uh, Dale Mikloff, right? Okay. And, uh, this is hot on the the tail of Time Cop, which was a Jean Claude Van Damme movie. Yes, it was about a cop that could time travel and do the splits, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the most famous part of that film was in the trailer, him doing the splits on the counter. Yeah. As opposed to him doing splits in any of his other movies. So Time Tracks uh, was the made-for-TV knockoff of that. And you had a police officer have to go back in time because time travel becomes a thing and criminals go back in time to profiteer. So this guy goes back in time and he's got like, hey, here comes new kind of technologies like credit cards with holograms on them. And... Uh, wireless uh, alarms for your car. So he's got a credit card that a hologram can pop out of, and it's like this old English school teacher, and that's his version of Al, right? His this this AI that helps him fight crime, and then he's got a a car alarm keychain that can basically shoot stun bolts out of, like a dinky phaser, and then the other button shoots people and then knocks them back into the future where they belong. Uh, And also because he's from the future, he's a little stronger, faster, and he's got better hearing and like he's got, you know, the basic physical disciplines. Okay, Uh, so he's like a Superman. He's a little bit bionic. Yeah. Uh, And that's that's basically what we have here. 
it, this this is this is time tracks it's trash it's stupid <laughs> it is exactly what you described i just didn't know that was a thing that's amazing I, you know when you don't have cable at your house and you go to your grandparents house and they did have cable you watch a you, lot of you find shitty things. tv shows that you as a reasonable person would have normally given zero time to you know, some people are going to treat streaming the same way. Except not, I don't think they're going to find little nuggets like time tracks. It, can I hold on? Let me see if I can stream. <laughs> Maybe we've got a Patreon <laughs> content here. Uh, can I stream time tracks? Justwatch.com. I don't know what that is, and I don't want to. Oh, wow. It got. No. Yep. Two seasons. <laughs> oh, geez. Wow. You got two seasons mm-hmm. and you've never heard of it. Uh, that'll be our what we actually follow up enterprise with. If you were hoping for Deep Space Nine, I'm sorry, we're going into time tracks next. <laughs> Piss so many people off. We can pick up at least two more fucking listeners. So the the time tracks team here, they find a truck. They hack an ATM to get cash. So they can put gas in the truck and they are using their scanners to locate Loomis as a consequence of I forget what like the the techno babble explanation is but there's like a specific thing that he has or has engaged in that's leaving that that Daniel's told them about I forget exactly what it was but they locate him Archer goes up into the apartment he tries to bolt uh, when he does to Paul is right there to put the Vulcan neck pinch on him. So then they do their, their is, is that the first time we've seen the Vulcan nerve pinch in enterprise? You mean? Yeah. I don't think so. Did she pop singularity? Singularity had it because, uh, he did. She, he did it to, uh, to Paul did it to flocks before he operated on Mayweather. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is uh this is not monument. Well, chronologically, this is still the first. <laughs> it is probably yeah. Did anybody do it in Carbon Creek? I don't think so. I don't think there was any violence at all in Carbon Creek, except like miners getting trapped. Uh, what year was Carbon Creek? Nineteen sixties, I think. Early nineteen sixties. Was it sixties? Late 50s, early 60s. T'Pol could have gotten on an airplane and met her grandmother. Yes, that's accurate. She would have been alive. There's two Vulcans on Earth. On Earth in 2004. Yes. And they don't say a goddamn thing about it. This could have been an awesome episode. She could have fucking sent her a letter. Or if they needed additional assistance. They could have he could have like she could have like surreptitiously oh contacted my God. her they through like a Vulcan. Like I knew the frequency of the device. I'm going to reach out with telepathy. Yeah. And since there's no telepathic interference, I can like get a clean connection. She could have called her on the phone. Yeah, I know what name on. her mother. My mother's going on. There's three Zindi badass motherfuckers like cut cut out the entire prostitute abduction fantasy from the beginning of this and give me a cheesy episode where there's 
two T'Pols. And one's a little older. You know, it's got gray hair. You know, not too old yet, because like. And she could have like imparted like a extra love of humanity to her granddaughter and like really punched her up and like she'd be like, Mom, Grandma, we need to stop these guys in the future. They're going to blow up Earth. This could have been my favorite episodes of the season. Uh, would this have been better than that? Similitude? No, I don't think it would have been better than Similitude. Well, that was pretty far- Similitude's second place. I'm still going with fucking Resident Evil Vulcan edition, but. If you're going to tell this fucking stupid time travel story and you're going to send me to 2004. Big fucking miss here. Weak as shit. Season three. It just happened. It just happened. It's right here. We'll see. We'll see if anything dethrones it, but I can see the the case here. Like what a miss. What a miss on your own continuity that you could have tied in. I'm mad. I'm legit mad. They fucking botched this thing here, man. You can't be like, hurry up. We're in a we're in a fucking rush. We got to get back to like. We're not in a rush. Like he could transport us back to any point. Like in you know by the end, like they walk out one second later, or like, even like even if you just pay it off that she sends her a letter. Yeah, and like Daniels is like, I know you sent that letter. I let it go. I, I you let better it let it go. I just did your fucking dirty for yeah. you. Or like her walk out and like be like fuck, I could have talked to my grandmother if I would have known he was going to send us back. You know, one second after we left. I'm mad, Joe. <laughs> I can tell. I can feel it. I'm fucking mad. Fucking Braga. You hack. So. Uh, they they sit Loomis She pops down. him on the neck. Yeah. We get a very unconvincing good cop, bad cop interrogation sequence. Untie him. And he punches him. I like, felt bad doing that with your arms behind your back. Why? Why would you feel bad? Because he's the one getting punched in the face while bound up that's your fantasy and you don't want him to to get the boner that you want no he was hoping, selfish he was, asshole he was hoping that he would get like a he would get punched back you know just <laughs> you know it was a, this this distant hope of like i can't let you punch me but i can at least give you the opportunity come on come on oh you just just gonna let me hit you that's Action, not what i'm here for that again that's not you, gonna get me hard could you put those brass knuckles on over there i was hoping you'd see him but I think you missed him. Just put those brass knuckles, put the sap gloves on and then send me gently into unconsciousness with a <laughs> stiff erection. So he holds <sighs> like seven two unsuited. He's like, all right, I'm capturing people for evil doctors. And they said I needed to bring the last of the two of the blood types. And I was going to get paid double as like one of each blood type. And I need an AB positive and a B negative. Archer's like, well, I'm a B negative. So you're going to bring me. And then I'm going to do the inside outside game. Um, there is a completely ridiculous and unnecessary scene involving getting an order from McDonald's. I can give you the plot of this TV show as presented by Braga and. Uh, Berman. Berman. Maybe we'll even use this as the title for the episode, because this is all it boils down to is. Hookers, cars, burgers. Those are the three big tent posts of this episode. A long ass diatribe or not diatribe uh, abduction fantasy of uh, of of hookers and chloroform. Uh, Them trying to figure out how cars work, because unfortunately, Tom Paris wasn't there to show them how the combustion engine works. Always need them. Although I did like that. Archer did know how to figure out how to just to drive a car. He's like, 
Context clues. All right, I think this is how it works. I'm going to call bullshit on the fact he knew where the headlights are because, like, I valeted a lot of cars and finding the headlights is a challenge sometimes. It especially start getting European cars in the mix and, like, it. it's a whole fucking thing. Uh, and then, yeah, like, 10 minutes worth of baby boomer vegetarian hamburger humor. That while they're sitting there joking about uh, to Paul getting a piece of hamburger on her thigh that she just in disgust flicks out the window and them ordering like five minutes of taking a fucking order through a drive through. I could have had her talking to her grandma and like telling me why I sat through Carbon Creek, why Carbon Creek had to be in that season. (laughs) Would have justified Carbon Creek. I mean, Carbon Creek was already good. Listen, I'll tell you what. This, this this is the compromise I'd be willing to make as a reasonable viewer. I would be willing to, being the good Samaritan that I am, I would be yeah, willing to tolerate to, to tolerate another round of Jolene Blaylock's shadow nipples on screen in high def. You're you are a generous soul, absolutely. In exchange for her grandmother being there. T'Pol could have been on one side of the sheet and her naked grandmother's <laughs> reflection could have been on the other side of the sheet and they could have been imparting uh, a need for humanity to survive and talking about the potential they have and like why it's important and like really cheerleading T'Pol up while her naked grandmother tells her about that. Instead, I got to see fucking this guy trying to convince John Archer to get two hamburger patties instead of one because it's only a 70 cents upcharge. Yeah, it's like five or six minutes of him ordering the food and eating it. What is this in the episode for? You just didn't have Hook- enough material? Hookers, cars, and burgers. <laughs> oh, also, also, <laughs> before they're able to capture him, let's call it the C-plot. <laughs> okay. The C plot is uh, for some fucking reason, these reptilian Zindi cheapskates decide they're going to jerk their ghoul around. He drops off. I don't know. The guy in the wheelchair probe. Yeah. And he goes to get his money and the money's not there. He's like, hey, where's my fucking. There's been a change of plans. Okay, Darth Vader, what's going on up there? Instead of getting paid per our agreement $5,000 per person, you're going to get paid for all three at the end, but we're going to double your commission. What, what, what happened during the, the, the Zindi terrestrial war that this shrewd economics uh, came into the reptilians' possession where <laughs> they're either going to be extremely shrewd businessmen where they're probably just going to kill this guy as his reward at the end. Maybe they just ran out of money. They don't understand yeah, how like dollars it are- is. It's like they don't know how to acquire more money and they look like reptiles. They can't go out and get it. <laughs> so they just scam the guy and they're just going to murder him at the end anyway. Rick Berman. Their tracks. Rick Berman. I know you're not willing to give me uh, two Jolene Blaylocks in the same episode, right? How about this? How about if you can't, if I can't have to Paul's grandma, how about you give me a scene again? Cut the burgers out. Give me a scene where the Zindi's landlord shows up <laughs> and ups their rent without any warning. And now the Zindi have to sit there and say, fuck. <laughs> How are we supposed to afford this rundown, beat up old warehouse and 
pay our ghoul. We can't afford both. What are we going to do? And then one of them, like, after two days of, like, staying awake, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes, I finally come up with the idea, like, what if we tell him we're not going to pay him till the end? And then we just don't pay him. (laughs) And we poison Earth. And they're like, yeah, okay. And that's why they out of nowhere start jerking this guy around on money. (laughs) And you think the bad guy in this episode is supposed to be the Zindi, but really the bad guy is supposed to be Loomis because he's like the evil human. But in reality, the baddest guy is their shitty uh, slumlord landlord. (laughs) (laughs) No, man. Let's talk about having doing a burger order for six minutes. It's clearly better. Let's sit through a fucking combo meal episode. Let's, let's supersize me what the fuck or just watched supersize me and was obsessed over it i <laughs> <laughs> had they shoehorned a completely unnecessary especially like like but block it out in your mind like the landlord pounding again terminator right because terminator right. the landlord's give him a hard time which really fits great with the the other comparisons here the landlord's banging on the door telling them it's gonna be more money and they're the three fucking uh zindi reptilians and their stupid jumpsuits sitting there like oh my god what are we gonna do what are we gonna he say he's gonna freak out what do we do what are we gonna do i don't want to work in the coal mine uh, uh, tie it back into carbon creek too maybe i don't get to paul naked behind a sheet but the zindi are like fucking working odd jobs one's a uh, a billiards pool hustler like the Vulcan was the other ones fixing the fucking land later, you know, the, they're, all, the they're, all, they're all because, you know, like in, in Carbon Creek, they all to do things to hide their ears. They're with, you know, like <laughs> hats or their hair or something like that. They're all dressed like the Ninja Turtles. They're, you know, they've got like the big trench coats and the hats. Why are guys all thing? wearing bicycle helmets? <laughs> Get it. So one has uh, one's the pool hustler and then the other one's. Uh, the handyman for the apartment complex, and then the third one's working in a fucking coal mine. (laughs) To get the money together so they can pay their ghoul to get them victims so they can make a (laughs) bioweapon. It's like Uno reverse carbon creek. I meant to bring it up during time tracks conversation. But that's one of the other problems with this episode is like, this isn't a bad premise for a Star Trek spin-off TV show. Time Tracks obviously only got two seasons. Like it there's not enough juice, but like if this was like a, I don't know, a four episode special event or something like if it was a no-name crew coming back in time to like Time Police and and this is indie like that would have been a cool other thing dragging Archer and to Paul back in time to deal with this is is dumb. Uh, so they get through the burger. Oh, yeah, he's getting ripped off. So he's kind of salty with the his boss, the Zindi makes it seem like he's more willing to fuck his boss over who now that I think about it, maybe he is a terrorist. Moops. It was some very 2004 thinking was like, mm-hmm. like literally said, I think he might be a terrorist. Like, oh, you were right. Uh, they Put, he puts Archer in the like the lineup and kind of gives him the information as to what the what he's seen. And then Archer has to solid snake his way around. And he eventually finds where like the Zindi are doing their super science. And he immediately identifies everything that's happening here. 
that they've brought something called a bioreactor so they can make a bioweapon, that this is specifically what Rajin had warned them about, which is true. She did do that. Speaking of it. Yeah. Then when that lady whose mother was definitely in Playboy was on our (laughs) show, she warned us about this. And, you know, they want a blood type of all humans because they want whatever virus they're working on to affect the whole population and kill them. And so the, I guess the episode crescendos in Archer shooting Jeffrey Dean Morgan's like time retrieval device off his belt. Like it's the old. Yeah, West. Go ahead and talk about that real quick. We, we didn't talk about Jeffrey Dean Morgan. But yeah. So Jeffrey Dean Morgan plays like that. The head Zindi uh, terrorist here. And not that you would know that because he's in that stupid Zindi reptilian makeup. Slash he doesn't outfit. hit anybody in the head with a baseball bat. Also very much uh, nothing going on with a baseball bat that would be in any way memorable. And it's notable because apparently, and this is in the memory alpha, uh, he took this role because he needed to pay his bills. He hated every second of being in the makeup. He had to stick straws in his nose to breathe was claustrophobic the entire time and couldn't eat. And he remembered going to his home in tears and claimed he nearly quit acting because of the experience of being on Enterprise. QQ. So, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan almost did, was not able to kill Glenn <laughs> because uh, he was on Enterprise. Um, meanwhile, uh, Leland Orser slash Loomis is in the car with DePaul, who... Despite kind of like cooperating, uh, they've got a real disdain for this guy. She's got a gun on him. Uh, There's some 2000s anti-smoking messaging in there. Again, more of this dude being gross, which again is a nice juxtaposition from the holographic portrayal he had. She shoots the fucking door right in front of him with her laser gun. And uh, I don't know, breaks the mask grid and very clearly, I think, reveals that they're time travelers of some sort. I did like when Archer, I don't know, at some point he goes, make sure you set your phasers to kill because stun did nothing to these guys. Nice continuity there. I can't remember that her grandma is. Where was Carbon Creek at? It's in Pennsylvania. It was in Pennsylvania. That's the same fucking time zone, too. Like she could have driven to go see her grandma. It's It's goddamn episode, Joe. Um, yeah, so, so like Archer's solid snake around, he sees everything that's going on. He conveys it to them and eventually goes, all right, I need to attack them. There's three of these guys. I've never missed with a phaser before. I've got, I'm getting a sneak attack. I'm in the prone position. So like, I've got all the time to line up this shot and they are completely unaware of me. And of course he misses his first shot. Of course. And they just thankfully just kind of stand there <laughs> like uh? like they're like the exclamation point goes up like uh, because it's uh, our our classic writing duo of uh, Braga and uh, Berman Berman. <clears throat> We've gone back to one bad gunfight after another. Right. He starts chasing him around. Also. Uh, when when Archer goes to shoot him, there's bright floodlights all over this uh, evil lab they've set up. So in case you didn't know how bad these outfits and these alien costumes look. 
Oh, you get to find out in, in stunning high definition detail. This is the last Berman era Star Trek out there. And I think to a certain level, you should be able to take all of the Starfleet captains and say, who was the bad guy, right? Kirk, it was the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to go with Borg for TNG, the defining bad guy? Nah, Tomalak. It was a Romulans. Really? You're going to go Romulan for TNG? I feel like they showed up more. They were more part of the show. The Borg were more iconic and certainly wound up being a major factor in both, you know, the movies in as well as the TV show. But you know what? I'll give it to you here because the, the big deal, the Romulans were in Picard. I think that we've had some pretty deep conversations on that and. Romulans encapsulate well the threat the Federation was facing then. Um, what, Jemadar for the uh, Yeah, for d- Deep Space d- Nine? Dominion for DS9. I'm going to have to say Borg for Voyager then. Yeah, Borg makes sense for Voyager, for sure. And then poor Jonathan Archer, and you have to define yourself as a hero opposite an antagonist that's this fucking disco circus. Yeah. Yeah, it's disrespectful. That's the, best, that's the best you guys could do were these guys in jelly purple jumpsuits. Anyways, they get up on the roof. They're shooting. They're back and forth. Archer sees that the uh, one of the Zindi guys has grabbed the poison juice. And he's looking at some fucking like, I don't know, bathroom exhaust vent on the top of the roof. And like, oh, I can pour it in here and it's going to, you know spread out using the wind from this exhaust vent to go like <laughs> 20 meters. Uh, the, you know, they continue their bad gunfight there on the roof, basically exchanging fire from like the middle distance from behind, from behind slight cover. It's like the worst XCOM fight ever. If there was a single uh, Mako here, all of them would be dead. Minus and the Makos they brought to uh, Carbon Creek, Cowboy Carbon Town. Creek Makos. It's not that the ones from from the from the premiere of the season. Just one of those guys, you know the 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 one lady who wh- whooped a dude with a tonfa, electric tonfa. Like just bring her. But side note, why does he bring to Paul on this adventure with him? Like, why not bring your badass Makos if you're going in to save Earth? It makes sense because you need your science. You need your most capable science person. Yeah, well, why not take Reed, the best of both? I mean, he's smarter than to Paul. And, you know, I'm told a tactical officer, despite what his <laughs> gun formed, style. He is supposed to be good at shooting. <laughs> <laughs> no, he just got tired of how he holds a phaser. Like, I'm well, not having I'm not having that. That's that happen. He could have left him in the past. That would have been my secret agenda. Like, I want this guy out of here. Major Hayes seems like he'd be a great bridge officer. I will, I will commit cloning war crimes to save Trip. I will leave Reed in the past. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... <laughs> Uh, but eventually uh, they they beat him with the technology of sneak up behind him. I guess like jump from one roof to another where luckily there's grabby pipes which fall. And this fucking guy does not hear huge steel pipes falling from three stories down to the street below. So he's completely unaware as Archer comes, pulls a gun. Uh, they literally go to a slow motion action sequence that looks like complete dog shit. Yeah, because it's not actually like there's nothing happening. They just slowed it down. You know, like there's nothing to 
Oh, uh, I guess before this part starts, Loomis does try to like stab to Paul and to Paul just like quickly switches her phaser back over to stun and just jams him in the chest. And is like, I'm done with you. Yeah, he has <laughs> hiding in a seat, which again, seems real 70s to me. Yeah. The- I, I see what you're more and more what you're saying, that maybe this just needed to be a 70s period piece. And it would have fit better, of course, with exactly what you're talking about with Carbon Creek, because it would have been even closer to the time period if they made it in the 70s. It would be only a decade after, you know, uh, yeah. Paul's great-grandmother was stuck there. So, like, it would even make that piece of your headcanon work better. But, or uh, set the whole, like, go make this the Wild West episode. And this dude's like, they're they're doing this shit in some Western town where there's no law and, like, Make it fun. That's that's a problem with this. Is ultimately this is not a fun episode. It's a stupid, yeah. boring. They're trying to be gritty and realistic, and it doesn't match with what they're trying to do. There's and... mm. so yeah. There's a slow motion sequence where like the guy tries to juke out Archer, and then the shit rolls, and Archer like slow motion grabs the secret of the ooze canister, the mutagen before it can go in the fucking vent and saves the day. And they wrap this shit up fast and then beat up junky ass about to be bankrupt. Uh, or were they already bankrupt at that point? Detroit. Uh, and they weren't bankrupt yet. They don't go bankrupt until 2008. Well, about to be bankrupt. Detroit has the most efficient police force ever that swoop in three cars arrest Loomis and then drive off like nothing happened. I guess the the most important thing is that all of this stuff doesn't go back with Daniels. It actually goes back with Enterprise. So Archer has the secret of the ooze. Archer has all of the bodies of the scientists that were working on it. Archer has all of their tech. Uh, So it's actually quite a bonanza of shit that Archer acquires through this adventure. He gets he gets some loot. Uh, so that's really the only interesting thing to come from it. Um, I, I, I'm a little softer on it just because I think the gritty detective noir law and order SVU part of this actually does function. And I like the idea of a time travel story staying confined to a smaller stakes kind of like, you know, instead of like something sprawling, like, uh, future tense in Voyager when they are, are, you know, have a two parter with Sarah Silverman and they're like got shuttlecraft and shit. Ugh, like, I forgot about that. Like this is much tighter. Whoa. This is when did that happen? They they use the shuttlecraft at the end, remember? 1997. They should have made it the same year. Voyager could have been fucking around on the West Coast while Enterprise is up in Detroit. If they could go back and redo all of Berman era, every single trip back should have been on the same exact day. (laughs) And there could have been like a big episode at the end where all of the crews somehow meet at the same point in 1998. Maybe that was going to be Brian Fuller's idea when he pitched it as an anthology show. It was basically meets at the food court and they do stranger things where they have to fight the the baddie in the food court. With a lot of neon. All of the all of the crews across time together. Mm-hmm. You just deep fake some of the, like the TNG people so they're younger and that stuff. That would be the movie that you didn't know you needed. 
I didn't need this, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, I didn't it wasn't, need this it was, version of it. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't good. The whole thing's fucking stupid. Um, the do you know who the benefactor that's jerking the Zindi around is? Yes. Was well, should should that person know Earth's history pretty intricately? You'll find out. Well, I'm just asking. I mean, yes or no. I don't want to reveal it. Like, it's kind of spoiling. I'm not asking you to tell me who it is, but would it make sense for the person who not only is telling the Zindi what to do, but also apparently making time travel possible for the Zindi, uh, that that guy should know that there's fucking Borg up in the uh, Arctic Circle? It does. Uh, the the entity responsible for the Zindi being able to do what they do is an entity that should be aware of the history of Earth. Yes. Because like, that sounds no- to me like uh, this guy, instead of fucking around with this bioweapon, should be like, you need to get up to the North Pole. It was the North Pole, right? Where the Borg are buried. Correct. And, and you need to unleash the Borg on... 2003 that's going to be way better than whatever this fucking convoluted shit shows so is this bioweapon lab is that the only bioweapon then uh, i believe that is true i guess i'll, I'll be reacquainting myself with that as we rewatch but my understanding was this was the bioweapon play so that means that the future zindi have been in consistent communication with the the time traveling bioweapon engineering department. Well, it isn't Zindi that's responsible for the Zindi's ability to go through time. I know it's not, but I mean, it seems to me like the Legion of Doom has been in active communication and status updates from the past's efforts, which again, timey wimey, like, how are you talking to these guys real time? Like, I saw Back to the Future 3. I know how this shit works. This is a time travel episode so bad it only could have been brought to you by the executive producers. I I am happy to see that their names do not appear on the credits for the next episode. Why don't you tell us what that's going to be? Chosen Realms, Enterprise, Episode 3. Or I'm sorry, Season 3, Episode 12. Written by uh, Manny Cotto. Directed by Raxanne Dawson. Titties. You know it's going to be spicy. Enterprise is hijacked by a group of religious extremists who worship the mysterious spheres in the expanse. Um, are those Bajorans? No. They are not Bajorans. <laughs> not all religious extremists in Star Trek are Bajorans, Peter. Okay, fine. Are these holographic Bajorans? <laughs> Not not all religious extremists in Star Trek are Bajorans or are holographic Bajorans, Peter. Just most. I, I most want, of them. I want some faces I, I recognize. I mean, that would have been way too far out because that's right on the. Deep Space Nine is still Alpha Quadrant, right? I believe so, yes, but it's on the border with Cardassian space. So it's way the fuck out there. But like, I really feel like they need to start bringing out some more recognizable species. Oh, you weren't talking about how before you didn't want that, right? Was I? Yeah. 
Weren't you complaining like you just did the Klingons right away? Couldn't help yourself? Yeah, but the Klingons are so big and so overplayed. I mean, there's a lot of tertiary. Like when they brought in, uh, who was the bounty hunter that got him? The founding member of the Federation, the super engineers. Uh, oh, the Tellarites. Stuff like that. Like these real bit players that, you know, yeah. their names have been dropped before. I don't need Romulans. I don't need, uh, Fer- sure as fuck, don't need any more Ferengi. But I think here and there they could sprinkle some familiar faces in. Uh, so was Chosen Realm good or uh, what are we in for here? I don't have a strict memory of this except for the ending, which is quite a sight. So uh, why don't we explore that together? This will be a fun one to refresh my memory about. You know, Joe, I was really worried about having to go in and do this episode uh, because it was such a fucking steaming pile of shit, but true to form, it's been the, the, the worst episodes that have provided the most podcasting fun. So, uh, yeah, I think we found the line and we hope that all of you who have listened enjoyed it as well. And we'll see you next week. 